Thank you, church. Could you please open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 12? Genesis, chapter 12. Our sermon this morning is going to span Genesis 12 through 17. We are not going to read Genesis 12 through 17 in just a moment. We will read Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I know some of you probably nearly had a heart attack. It's going to be okay. Before we read this passage, our passage this morning is going to revolve around a word that is foreign to many. Maybe it's foreign to some of you. However, this word is not foreign to the Bible. In fact, this word is crucial really for understanding what exactly is going on in this whole book. It's the word covenant. Most of us in this room are in a covenant relationship. Most of us in here are in more than one covenant relationship, even if you don't realize it. A covenant is simply a formally committed relationship. If you're a member of this church, you are in covenant relationship with the other members of this church. If you are married, you are in covenant relationship with your spouse. In a perfect world, we wouldn't need covenants. All relationships would exist perfectly. So there would be no need to make any kind of formal agreement. But in a fallen world, covenants help keep relationships in proper balance. My wife is able to trust that I will relate to her properly because I have made a formal public agreement with her and vice versa. You can think of relationships as being a two-sided coin. And this will play into our message this morning. On one side is commitment and on the other side is benefit. Every relationship should be centered around both commitment and benefit. But in a sinful world, we are often tempted to pursue the benefit of relationships apart from commitment. That's where we get these terms or phrases like friends with benefits. What that is essentially saying is, I want the benefits of a marital relationship without the commitment of marriage. Now, that's an easy example. That's a, that's a lob. This gets much more difficult in other covenant relationships, relationships in general. We want the benefits of relationships for free, apart from commitment. So now we can expand our simple definition. A covenant is a visible commitment that protects relational benefits from abuse. A covenant is a visible commitment that protects relational benefits from abuse. A covenant protects the integrity of a relationship. So here's our main idea this morning. God's people are revealed through their covenant relationship with him. God's people are revealed through their covenant relationship with him. Some time ago when we started Genesis, we looked at Genesis 1 through 11, and the title of that series was Created. Created by God, for his glory, for our good. Now as we enter into Genesis 12, we're going to continue the storyline, but now from more of an airplane view. And the title of this series is Separated 
by God for his glory, for our good. This will span Genesis 12 through 50. And the two halves of this book hinge on these three verses that we're about to read. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, God promised after the fall, there will be a promised offspring who will crush the serpent's head and he will bruise his heel. The rest of the scriptures seek the fulfillment of this promise in Jesus Christ. The rest of Genesis exists to connect God's promise in Genesis 3 to God's people by the time we get to the book of Exodus. And it will ultimately track all the way down to Jesus. It's through this people that God's promised offspring would come. And he traces this promise through a specific family, the family of Abraham. So over the next several weeks, we're going to trace this promise through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob together. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray together. O Holy Lord, would you please speak to us. Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts that we might see your word more clearly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. So we will be turning back and forward through Genesis 12 through 17. I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open there. But before we look at some specific passages, I've already mentioned that our passage here, these three verses we just read, really is a link between Genesis 1 through 11 and then Genesis 12 through 50. Well, what's happening here in this verse? God is calling Abram into relationship with himself. God is about to establish a covenant with him. And in chapters 12 through 17, we see this covenant develop. So first, God calls Abram to leave his family, to leave his homeland, take his wife and nephew, and to head to some foreign land, the promised land. We know that that's the land of Canaan. Abram at this time is just left to follow the Lord where he leads. So in Genesis 12, 4, Abram picks up his family and leaves. When they arrive, there's a famine that hits in Genesis 12, 10, and it drives Abram and Sarai down to Egypt. And while they're there, Abram pretends not to be married to Sarai out of fear of his life. So Pharaoh takes Sarai to be his wife, and then God plagues Egypt for their protection. So once they realize what's happening, they approach Abram, they give Sarai back, and then they take their goods and they head back. So then in Genesis 13, Abram and Lot had accumulated many possessions and eventually things get tense. The land cannot support both of them, so they part ways. And Lot got to choose which way he wanted to go. So he looked around and then he chose to settle near Sodom, which Genesis 13, 13 tells us 
it is a wicked, there are wicked great sinners against the Lord who dwell there. So eventually in chapter 14, we see that Abram has to go rescue Lot because there's this battle between these kings. And Lot is taken captive and Abram must go rescue him. It's after Abram returns in Genesis 15 that God officially establishes his covenant with an official ceremony. And in establishing this covenant, God tells Abram, you will have a son. So now we see how the promise is going to be fulfilled. How is it that Abram, childless, will be a father of many nations? There will be a son. Sarai at this point is barren. So in Genesis 16, they take matters into their own hands. Abram sleeps with their Egyptian servant, Hagar. And they have a son. His name is Ishmael. When this happens, Abram is 86 years old. It had been 11 years since he was called out of Haran to go south to the promised land. Well, another 13 years goes by between Genesis 16 and 17. And now Abraham is 99 years old. And God appears and confirms his covenant, changing his name from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. And he's told that Ishmael is not going to be the son of promise. That Sarah will have a son, and his name will be Isaac. And then in Genesis 17, 11, God gives Abraham a sign of his covenant. It's a visible mark, the mark of circumcision. And in this way, God's covenant people will be distinguished visibly from everyone else. So what are we to make of all of this? This covenant is God's means, his chosen means of fulfilling the promises in Genesis 3, 15. God's plan to reverse the curse of the fall involves using covenant relationships. Even Christians are in covenant relationship with God. Maybe you didn't realize that. We are members of the new covenant that's prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the new. So if God has chosen to relate to his people through covenant relationships, what do our texts this morning teach us about our covenant relationship with God? In our passage this morning, God reveals his covenant relationship with Abram in two general ways that mirror the two-sided coin we looked at earlier, commitment and benefit. And these two ways will be our two main points this morning. Number one, God calls Abram out. And number two, God carries Abram through. So let's apply these to us this morning. Number one, God calls his covenant people out. Look with me again at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Notice when it begins, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. This call is both sudden and life-altering. Hey, pick up all your stuff and leave everyone you ever knew and be in a foreign place. There's two aspects to this call. Departure and destination. He is told to leave one place 
that he might arrive at another. There is a forsaking, a giving up, and then there is an obtaining, an acquiring. There can be no arrival without first leaving. The fact that he's heading somewhere implies that he has left another place. When God calls his people to himself, he calls us to leave something behind in order that we might gain something we do not yet have. And in all of this, God sets the terms of what we are to leave behind and then what we are promised to gain. God reveals departure and destination. Our role in this is Abram's role. He hears, and then in verse 4, what does he do? He goes. He gets his family. He picks up and leaves. God reveals. Abram responds. Look now with me at Genesis 13, 14 through 18. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. God revealed Abram responded. Go forward a little bit further. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God revealed, Abram responded. One more time. Look with me, Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offsprings after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now go down to verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. 
as God had said to him. God revealed, Abraham responded. We do not pursue God before God pursues us. There is nothing, nothing about Abram's life before he is called, and even after he is called, we might argue there's very little worthy of imitation. So I should lie to these foreign kings so that my wife is taken by another man? Come on, Abraham. What are you doing? The only reason that Abram is marked out as God's covenant people is because God chose to mark him out and call him out. And then it is after he is called out that Abram is able to respond. In Genesis 15, 5, God told Abram that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. God revealed that to Abram. And then look at the very next verse in verse 6. What did Abram do? In Genesis 15, verse 6, God reveals they'll be as numerous as the stars. What does Abram do? He responds. How does he respond? In faith. He says, I believe you. You've made a promise to me. I believe you. I believe this is going to happen. Faith in God's revelation is what fuels Christian obedience. There is no earthly reason that Abram should have left his country to go to Canaan at the beckoning of some God speaking to him unless he believed what that God was saying. There is no reason for Abram at 99 years old to go and circumcise his entire household, including himself, unless he really believed what God was saying. This is why Christians obey what the Scriptures teach us, because we actually believe this book. I believe this. We as Christians believe this. That's why we follow it. Ultimately, all Christian obedience is really just an expression of faith. And this is one of the ways that our covenant relationship with God is revealed. God calls us to enter into relationship with himself, and then we respond in faith. That's what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. The rest of the world has not responded in faith. They have responded in rejection. And such were some of us. But God has called us, and we have responded. This is just as true for us as it was for Abram. Listen to these verses now out of the New Testament. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately... They left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Listen to Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Luke 14, 33, Jesus says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Do you see the pattern here? God calls everyone everywhere to leave behind so that we may arrive somewhere. To depart towards a destination. To forsake so that we might obtain. To let go of something so that we might grab a hold of something greater. Non-Christians among us this morning, contrary to what you may have been told, this is actually what it means to become a Christian. It is not a simple decision. It is a hard decision. It requires that we first renounce that we may follow. That we first turn so that we can pursue. But at the same time, it is so easy. We must merely respond in faith. God reveals our current state to us, our sinfulness. This means that we violated God's commands and that we deserve judgment. When God calls us to himself, he calls us out of our sin. And we must be ready and willing to depart from that if we want to have any hope of arriving at our heavenly promised land. Maybe you think, yeah, but I've tried doing that, and I just can't do it. It just doesn't work. I've tried departing. That's because you're responding in the wrong way. That is not how God has called us to respond. That's not faith. That's trying to earn it on your own. The Bible calls this works. It is charting our own path and our own power. In Genesis 16, Abram and Sarai make the exact same mistake. They heard the promise, and then they took matters into their own hand. Sarai said, well, I'm barren. Take my servant, Hagar. And Abram makes an even bigger mistake. He says, okay. And they force the promise. They force the departure. They misunderstood the promise. They took it into their own hands. Back up now to Genesis chapter 15, right before this event. Genesis 15, and follow along with me here in verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. 
When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God formalizes his covenant with Abram. He invites Abram to this type of ceremony. And typically what would happen is the parties of this covenant, if you look at the literal translation in the Hebrew, instead of make a covenant, it's called cutting a covenant. God cut a covenant with Abram. And literally what they did is they would cut these animals in half and lay them on the ground as a sort of offering. And they would lay the animals on the ground in, the ha- in halves, and they would part in between them. And that was their way of saying, if I go back on my covenant, may this, what happened to these animals, happen to me. I will be responsible for breaking this covenant. Only that's not what we see happen here, is it? Instead, God puts Abram to sleep. It's very similar to the beginning of Genesis when Adam is put to sleep before the marriage covenant. And God takes from Adam and fashions it into a woman, and then they enter into covenant relationship. The language is very similar. Now Abram is going to sleep. This dark sleep is falling on Abram, and he's about to enter into covenant relationship with God. Only Abram will not be passing through the halves. In verse 17, God alone walks between the halves. It's like God drew up a contract, took it, and then signed his name on both lines. I will do this. Abram's relationship with God would not depend on Abram's faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. Abram can know that it's going to happen because it's God's faithfulness that will bring it to pass. If it was up to Abram's faithfulness, well, he's in trouble. If our covenant relationship with God is due to our faithfulness, guess what? We're in trouble. We are in a lot of trouble. Abram asked, how am I going to know, God, that these things are going to happen? And God's response was basically, I promise. That's how you know. Because I promise you, it will happen. All Abraham had to do was say, oh, I believe you. Faith. You cannot depart on your own. And that's why the proper response is faith. It's when you respond in faith to God that your departure truly begins. This is the first way that God's covenant people are made visible, revealed. God calls them out. Here's the second way. God carries his covenant people through. God carries his covenant people through. If God's calling out is the commitment, then God's carrying through is the benefit. I'm going to briefly show you four ways that we see here God carrying Abram and Sarai through while he established his covenant with them. Number one, God rescues 
God rescues. Right after God calls Abram in chapter 12, Abram messes up big. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife in all that he had. So Abram lies about his wife for the sake of his own life. And what does God do? God rescues Abram and Sarai from the Egyptians. Now you may be thinking, well, that's not fair. Abram messed up. Why did the Egyptians get plagued? He does, Abram doesn't deserve to be saved. This is exactly the point. Why was Abram saved? It wasn't because he did the right thing. Why was he saved? Because Abram is entering into covenant relationship with God. God is faithful. He will not make a promise and then not keep it. And his faithfulness to his promise does not depend on the faithfulness of his people. So God rescues Abram even in the midst of a hole that he dug for himself. And this is what he does for us. It is a benefit of our relationship with God that we receive through faith. We don't deserve to be rescued from some of our circumstances, but God shows himself faithful. You're going to make mistakes at work, in marriage, in school, in life, with your finances. You're going to find yourselves in situations that you think, how did we let ourselves get here? I've been in situations where I ask that question, I'm delivered, and then I find myself back in the same situation, and I say, how did we get ourselves here again? <laughs> the good news here, in that moment, though it seems dark, God will carry you through it. Look, I'm here. You're here. God carries his people through. Why? Because he's faithful. That's why we have faith in him. This is one of the ways God makes our covenant relationship visible. He rescues us. Second way, God protects. In Genesis 13, Abram and Lot separate, and Lot finds himself in the middle of a battle between these raging kings. When he's taken captive, Abram goes to rescue him, and he takes 318 of his men with him, and he goes and at night divides them up and then defeats them. And afterwards, Abram meets with this man, Melchizedek, the king of 
Salem. Melchizedek meaning the king of righteousness. Salem, the king of peace. He is a type of the coming Christ. Well, in Genesis 14, 20, Melchizedek says these words. Blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then right after this, we tend to separate by chapter numbers. But remember, this is originally no chapter numbers here. Right after this in Genesis 15, 1, Melchizedek has already said, God has delivered your enemies into your hands. And then in Genesis 15, 1, God speaks to Abram in a vision. And what does he say? Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. How is it that Abram is able to take these men and go and overcome these kings, these four kings here? I've heard the explanation, well, these kings were probably not kings of towns like today. Maybe they were just small villages, but they called them kings. Okay, maybe we can go with that. But these nations are warring against one another. To destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, God has to rain down fire and sulfur to consume the cities. My explanation for this is that God protects his people. Melchizedek confirms, God has delivered your enemies into your hand. God tells Abram, I am your shield. I will protect you. It wasn't by his own might, but God's might that Abram was protected. Abram belongs to God, and God is faithful And that relationship is made visible. Do you see this pattern now over and over again? Number three, God transforms. God transforms. In Genesis 17, God appears to Abram. This is after the covenant is made in 15. 15 is where 12 we see it pronounced. 15 we see the ceremony. Now in chapter 17, we see that this covenant is given a sign. Abram is 99 years old. It's been 13 years since that ceremony. And after all this time, God tells Abram in 17 verse 1, Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So Abram falls on his face and God renames Abram, Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And then following... Starting in verse 6, he follows it with five I will statements. Genesis 17 in verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. I will be their God. And then after this, in verses 9 through 11, God turns it around. As for you, you shall keep my covenant. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Do you see this order here? God tells Abraham everything he's going to do. He says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take my sign upon you. You are going to be visibly set apart because I have spiritually set you apart. 
Abram's identity has changed. Sarai's identity has changed. And now the people of God will have a physical distinction. Abram's covenant obedience is a sign that he belongs to God. And the sign is visible. He has been changed by God because he believed God. He's been changed. He is different. This is true of Christians as well. Only our circumcision is not a circumcision of the flesh. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. Romans chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So our circumcision is different, but it is just as visible. You cannot see the heart, but you see what flows from the heart that has been circumcised by the Spirit. The old body of flesh, my old life of fleshly living, has been metaphorically cut off. And there is a newness now about me. Not something that I've done, but something that God has done in me that I receive by faith. God wants His covenant people to be visibly different, but he wants it to be through faith so that no one can boast. No one can boast. This is the sign of the Christian's covenant relationship with God. It is a faith-fueled obedience due to our inner transformation by God's Spirit. Our transformation is further proof of God's faithfulness. He keeps his promises. He is making us into a new people who will and work for his good pleasure. And that promise is coming true not because we're good enough to do it, but because God is faithful. Our transformation makes our relationship visible. Here's the last one. God gives hope. God gives hope. All throughout our passages this morning, God continues to point Abram and Sarai to the future. Your descendants will be numerous. You won't be able to count them. Your children will be kings. Nations will come from you. You will inherit the land. My covenant with them will be an everlasting covenant. I will be their God. And you'll notice this typically happens after a particularly difficult or internal struggle in Abraham and in Sarai. In Genesis 15, Abram is discouraged even after having defeated the kings and saving Lot. He talks to Melchizedek, and then in the beginning of 15, God affirms your reward will be very great, but then look at verse 2. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I don't have a child. I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He says, Behold, you've given me no offspring, 
and a member of my household will be my heir. And what does God do to that? Look in verse 5. He takes Abram outside and says, Abram, look up at the stars. This is how many your offspring will be. He sets Abram's gaze to a future hope. A future hope. Hope moves us forward. Do you want to cause a people to stop dead in their tracks? Take away their hope. Most corrupt governments throughout the history of the world understand this. If you want to control a people, take away their hope. This is Satan's strategy. Take away their hope. But God gives us hope. If faith is the fuel of our obedience, then hope is like the gas station that fills us back up. Ultimately, we're not always rescued out of every situation. That's not always the way that God makes us visible. Sometimes it is. Ultimately, we're not always protected in the way we'd like to be. We still experience pain and hurt as Christians. This is because God, instead of delivering or protecting, He is using this work to make us visibly transformed. Regardless of how He carries us through, at the end of the day, we are weak. And when I endure hardship, my faith is tempted to weaken. Does God really love you? Do you really belong to Him? Are you really His people? When our faith becomes weak, we remember the hope that we have, and it reignites and fans the flame of our faith. Hope sustains our faith. Abram is not so different from us, is he? He makes some serious mistakes, he has lapses of judgment. But God has called him into relationship with himself. God has entered into covenant with Abram. And Abram has believed God. And despite Abram's mistakes, God counts his faith as righteousness. And so it is with us Christians. What sets us apart, what makes us visible, is not a physical characteristic or trait like circumcision. It is our faith. The physical transformation that God is bringing about in us through that faith. A faith in Christ that calls us to abandon our old lives that we might reach a new destination. I wonder this morning, what are you still holding on to? God has called us to be a visible people, distinct from the world. He is separating. All throughout the Old Testament, God separates his people. They go into captivity. He pulls them out. He tells them to be distinct over and over and over. And it's the same with us. So what is it that you are holding on to? Or that, like we will see later in Genesis, with Lot's wife turning back, what is it that you were always turning back to gaze upon? Maybe a more pointed question. Why are you not visibly different?
Is it because you were not truly in a covenant relationship with God? Maybe you've pursued all the benefits of the relationship without the commitment. This is why we have a church. It is to spur one another on and to affirm to one another, you belong. Remember your hope. Turn from your sin. Push forward. We do that together. We have a faith that carries us through life, a faith that is fueled by a future hope. God's covenant people look different at the end of the day because they are different. And it's not their own doing. It is God's doing by faith alone in Christ alone. Church, we are the visible covenant people of God. God's desire is for us to be different, to be called out and carried through by Christ. So may we leave behind our former ways of living. For God has called us out from that life and into a new life in Christ. May we rely on God's faithfulness to keep us, to change us, and to motivate us to walk in newness of life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to you this morning, remembering your mighty deeds of old, how you have established your covenant with a particular people, calling them out and into a new land, a promised land, setting them apart and making them distinct, visibly different from the rest of the nations. We praise you for the work that you have done in Israel's beginnings. But we do not stop there, Lord, because you are continuing that work even in us today. You have declared through your word that we through faith are Jews inwardly. The seed of Abraham. We are the recipients of these beautiful covenant promises Not because of anything that we have done, but because Jesus Christ has purchased us. He has sacrificed himself to purchase us for himself. And you, Lord, have called us out from our wanderings that we might head towards a beautiful destination. Eternity with him, free finally from the stain of sin. So, Lord, would you carry us through, protect and rescue us, even from our own mistakes. Use these to transform us visibly. Remind us of the hope that we have in Christ when our faith grows weary. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.